Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to All Bodies Outside. This is your host, Brian Peterson. On this episode, our guest is Will Sprouse, who has run a lot of 100-mile ultramarathons. In fact, he has finished 83 100-milers. However, his ability to run long distances has become more challenging. In 2020, he survived a stroke that left him with heart rate limitations and difficulty managing his balance. Despite these additional challenges, Will continues to run 100-mile ultramarathons, and he has created his own ultramarathon event called the Iron Will 100 that focuses on inclusivity and openness to adaptive athletes. The event has three distances, 50K, which is about 31 miles, 50 miles, and 100 miles. The course follows along a river, is 75% shaded, and maintains a flat trajectory on a smooth and wide trail that has no rocks or roots so that someone with a wheelchair or a stroller has plenty of space. Additionally, there are frequent aid stations and extended cutoff times so that racers have plenty of time to finish. That race sounds awesome, uh, and I will be uh, joining at that race. Uh, I love the idea of an inclusive race for adaptive athletes, so I registered for the 50K, which will be on September 9th. Will, you have done some amazing stuff. Thanks for joining us on Old Bodies Outside. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad you're here, and uh, to get our conversation started, I figured, why don't we kind of hear about how you got into running and then also how you got into ultra running. Cause I've heard that your, your trajectory into ultra running was the result of uh, wanting to run on uneven terrain. Yes. So, um, back, back in high school, I, I didn't, I did do track, but the longest distance I ever ran was the quarter mile and I played football, didn't do cross country, anything. Um, I got overweight after high school. I weighed over 300 pounds. And in 2005, my dad, who was a marathon runner, passed away from cancer. So I was kind of going through a midlife crisis. And I started running to try to get myself in better shape initially. And then I found out I I got addicted to it. I got to the point where I was running six days a week, at least 10 miles a day. Usually it was around 10 or 12 miles a day. And then I decided to start doing marathons. And I I ran, I I found out when I started running marathons, I wasn't a very fast marathon runner. I ran right around just under the four hour mark, but I was able to do them like back to back and a couple of months and, Originally, I started a goal of I was going to just try to run a marathon in every state, and and that was going pretty good. I my dad passed in two thousand five. I ran my first marathon in uh, two thousand six, and I, I ran some pretty tough marathons, like I ran the Pikes Peak Marathon, and then also it was an easy trail marathon, like I ran the Mickelson one over in South Dakota. And I, I started to kind of get a love for the trails. And it was July 2009. I couldn't find a marathon anywhere to race. So I decided to do this 50-miler up in Wisconsin. 
in the Dales. It was called um, uh, Dances with Dirt, Devil's Lake. And it was brutal. I mean, it was, there was, it was crazy. Uh, they had part, it started on some of the ski slopes. They had a ski resort over there. And then you ran up some bluffs around this crystal blue, beautiful lake. And I, I'd never ran any trails like that. In fact, I was in road shoes and I finished and I, I just loved it. And unfortunately, I so I started running 50 milers and crossing over to trails in 2009 and 2010. In 2010, I had a motorcycle wreck. Uh, a dog ran out and it was a pretty high. Well, I was going about 60 miles an hour, flipped over, but long story short, I had some internal injuries and bleeding and uh, collapsed lung. One on both, one was punctured and broke 46 bones. Whoa. So, yeah, when I started uh, started to get back to uh, running, it wasn't going too well, and I was I was much slower. So I I eyeballed the longer ultras. I started with the 100k and. Well, actually, I did do a, I did some 50Ks too, but I focused on the 100K. And then in 2012, I ran my first 100-miler, Rocky Raccoon. It was uh, February 4, 2012, down in Texas. And I, I just fell in love with the 100-mile race. And I, I did a few more that year and wasn't too crazy about it. But in 2013 and 14, I really boomed and started doing slam series where they had multiple 100 milers and pretty much every year after that i've tried to run as many 100 milers as possible as far as my work schedule vacation and everything allowed so wow so that's how i got into it basically so yeah yeah and so you fell in love with the 100 mile distance um not too many people fall in love with the 100 mile distance so what got you to fall in love with the hundred mile distance. Well, the hundred mile is, it's a whole different animal. Um, it, you have to have a lot of patience and it's extremely challenging and anything can happen. I mean, your race could go good for the first 90 and then it could just blow apart or it can blow apart early. And what I like about it is if you run into problems early, there's a few exceptions out there that have strict cutoffs, but usually you can recover and run good again. E even if you have something like stomach issues or something, I've been able to um, come back for those and, and finish strong in the race. And it, 100 mile running is about managing your body heat and nutrition and hydration. And it, it's, it's a lot more science, in my opinion, than maybe athletic ability as far as finish, you know, I, I've just been a finisher, but I have, I have won a couple of them and, you know, podium then several, not, you know, but I'm, anything can happen a hundred mile. I mean, I, weather is another factor. I, I've ran against some really good runners and when things turn bad, they, they drop out and stuff. And then you find yourself running, for podium, I mean, and 
you know, I, I'm pretty much a middle, middle of the packer in the hundred mile. So. Yeah, I totally agree with um, the management and kind of science approach and the patient's approach to 100 miles. I've not done 83 100 milers, but I've done seven. And um, it's it's something that the game of patience really does pay off. It's like, you know, if you hit that first 10 miles, 20 miles fast, um, you're going to you're going to probably go through some some downturns on your running, but hopefully you can get yourself recovered and whatnot. But um for there's no other distance that I prepare for in terms of how am I going to manage myself in terms of water? How am I going to manage myself in terms of food? How am I going to manage myself in terms of uh, salt? How am I going to manage myself in terms of caffeine? And then the big question is always, you know, how do you manage yourself with pace and whatnot? And so all those things are really fun about the hundred miler. I do agree about that. Um, and so I also want to know, you know, you've done 83, 100 milers and you said you try to do as many as you could per year. So what's the most, that you've done per year? I, I think I, I think it was probably 2020. I finished 16 of them. Wow. Um, but I got, I, I was on a roll. I had no DNFs that year and I was getting faster and faster. I ran four weekends in a row and had no issues and actually wow. was getting faster. And I was actually trying to, um, train myself to try to run a hundred miler every weekend, like 52 wow. weeks straight. So in 2020, I'd signed up for 36. Unfortunately, COVID took out most of those races. So there was a few of them, you know, I was, I was basically going to try to average three a month to get 36 and then try to step up into more to the next year. And I just, I hit a groove. I was actually, uh, well, let me think about that so it's accurate. Well, I know I, I won one of them and placed second in probably three or four others and third in, in a couple more. It, it was kind of crazy. The more I ran, the better I got at it, which it, it that's always kind of been my strength is the ability to be able to do multiple hundred milers in a short amount of time. And I have a lot of friends that kind of do the same thing um, that, you know, we see each other at all the races and that, yeah, I'd say yeah. that. I, I think I did um, 14 or 15, a couple other years too as well, but. Wow. That is amazing. I've, um, I typically do a hundred mile race once every other year. Um, there's only been one year where I've done two. Um, but other than that, I, I do it every other year. Um, and, uh, it's it, the hundred mile journey is always great. Um, but 2020 was, it was quite a year for you from what I read in my preparations for our podcast episode. And so, uh, what other significant event happened to you in 2020? So I had two crazy things happen in 2020 in July. Um, I had an intestinal blockage just came up out of nowhere. I got very sick and I went in, when I went into the ER, um, they had to do emergency surgery on me and they, they pretty much just flipped me down from my chest to my belly button and they fixed the problem. I was in, um, intensive care for seven or eight days 
it, I, I just finished a hundred miler maybe a week ago, the honey badger in Kansas. And I, I didn't have any others on the schedule until, um, lean horse. I think I, I think I missed that. Let me, but anyways, um, yeah, I missed, I missed all my August ones and I came back in the first weekend of September and I ran one down in Oklahoma. That's a Lotsey uh, 100. And the heat index was 120. The actual temperature was over 100 degrees. Wow. And it was, I, I ran against, you know, some really good runners, but I was able to get first place mail in that race. So, um, nice. It, I'm going to come back after the surgery. I, I I was worried about developing a hernia, so I had myself all strapped up and strapped up tight in my mid area. And then I was able to just start coming back and start hammering out the 100 milers in, at, until November. November down in Texas, I ran Dinosaur Valley. It's a pretty tough trail 100 miler. I was, I was kind of surprised how tough it was. And then three days after that in 2020 is when I had my stroke. And mm. and so I was done for the year. I had had about three other hundred milers on the schedule in December, so I probably could have got nineteen, maybe twenty in that year. So, wow. Well, before we get into um, the stroke and the aftermath of it, one thing I want to take a pause at was I want to hear. Um, what what draws you to the ultra running community? And there, there's a lot of praise for the ultra running community, but I'm always curious to hear what uh, people draw, what draws them to that community of wonderful people. So, the first thing I noticed um, when I ran marathons, I ran some really big marathons, some of the rock and roll marathons with thirty thousand people, and it was just kind of it was rough. A lot of times you can't break out the pack for several miles and it was elbowing and everybody was out for themselves. And, uh, what, when I started running ultras, the community was just like a family. I mean, they'd been over backwards to help you. The, the winners were really respectful and decent to the people who finished last place. Um, the trail etiquette was completely different than road racing. People typically don't litter. And if, there's trash the ultra runners will pick it up and you know it was just a whole different thing and then after the races hanging out with them and you know partying and it was more like a family environment than a competitive environment it's just like i go out and just try to my main goal is to get the buckle and finish a hundred miler and sometimes i get lucky and i i place higher but that's never my intention when I go into a race, cause I'm just, <laughs> I don't have the ability, but some things, sometimes stuff happens on a hundred miler, but yeah, I just go out and have fun with it and have fun with my friends. And it's the most exciting thing to me is when I show up for a hundred mile race and I know most of the people in them and, you know, it's just like seeing family. Yeah. Yeah. So. The, the camaraderie is amazing. And I, I, I absolutely agree with that. It's something that's, uh, you see throughout, you know, your race, you know, if I'm running a hundred miles and, um, I might run with different people here and there and it, it's always so bonding. And, 
Um, it's, it's one of the favorite things for me is getting to the finish line and then sharing stories about all the things that happened during the hundred mile race and hearing how one of my friends races went and all the, the low points that I had and whatnot. And so the camaraderie, I just, I just love, like people are looking out for each other. They're excited to see each other finish. Um, and then it's just always so fun to be sharing stories and whatnot. So it really is a special community. It's a community that, um, one of the things I, I love about, and we'll get to eventually is hearing about the inclusivity of your race and whatnot with adaptive athletes. So that's something that's really wonderful that adds to the ultra running community. But before we get to that, let's get back to in late 2020, you had a stroke. Um, I believe, uh, you were working in your restaurant at the time. And, uh, so what happened with the stroke? So um, I have I have another full time job. I work in the mornings. Um, I'm in charge of maintenance at a retirement home, and typically I get off there about two p.m. and then I go to my restaurant around four. So I just showed up at my restaurant. Um, I remember it was a Wednesday. It was the day day before Thanksgiving in November, and I was kind of excited because my kids were coming back to visit and. Anyways, I, 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 I never get headaches and I got this weird headache first and I, so I went and sat down for a few minutes and the headache went away. Well, when I got up, some, my employees noticed that my face was drooping and I was slurring my words. So it was, it was pretty much a no brainer. I was having a stroke. So I, we went to, uh, the ER actually over in Junction City, which was the closest one. And by the time, I, I didn't feel like I was too bad then. But while I was in there, I lost the ability to even stand up. And I started to lose my sight, uh, lost my ability to swallow just real fast. And they... Uh, transferred me over to Stormont Vale. And then I was in, uh, oh, I guess I was in ICU for a while. Um, once the brain swelling went down, I still couldn't, I still couldn't stand or ha I had no balance. And then maybe about a week later or so, I w got checked into Kansas rehab where they basically were going to teach me how to live life with a wheelchair and, you know, just like that. And I was, I was more interested in, I was always trying to walk and I bothered the nurses all the time about, Hey, take me for a walk. They had to put a gate belt on. It, it took three of them, two on the sides and one on the back. And I, I, I had no balance or anything. It was, it was kind of a scary deal, but I just kept trying so, yeah, and, and during the, the stroke, you, you, you know, suddenly lost the ability to swallow. You're losing a lot of functionality. What was going through your head? Did you think that that might be the end of it? Or were you kind of feeling off? like, what was well, like, what? Yeah, I wasn't really sure. Um, the stroke really, it was really weird. It wasn't really painful or anything. Um, but I, yeah, I was I was really kind of concerned um, after all was said and done, and they were just doing all kinds of tests on me, and then I 
to this day, I still really can't feel the right side of my body and I can't uh, detect hot or cold on the right side. But they were just running a series of tests and they told me my stroke was in the medulla, which I, I had no clue what that meant. But I found out later on, I was pretty aggressive. Um, when, I got, when I got into rehab, I got in trouble all the time because I would crawl down from my bed and try to do push-ups on my knees. And I just wanted to do some type of exercise. And I didn't understand why they were, they got upset with me all the time. But what they knew was my heart and my lungs weren't functioning right because the medulla is controls involuntary functions like mm. coughing, sneezing. I couldn't do that. Um, it messed up my heart rate and it controlled all that. So they were worried for my life because I was trying to do this. So they put alarms on everything. Like if I moved out of my bed, alarm would go off and the nurses would run in. I even like put suitcases up on top of the bed to try to fake them out. And then they figured out by my heart rate escalating. And, and that's my problem to this day. I have to start my 100 milers now. I can't go faster than a 14-minute mile, which is really slow. I used to I used to typically start out at 10-minute miles for a while and progress to 12s. And a lot of my 100 milers, I never even hit a 14-minute mile throughout the whole thing. And wow. now, if I go any faster than 14-minute mile, it's crazy. I, I I run with a heart rate awareness all the time on my Garmin. And um, if I hit over 140 or 145, it shoots up to 230. And then after Whoa. that, I can't bring it down. It, 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 there's no, before when I ran marathons and stuff, I raced them like at a heart rate of 165. So everything from 140 to 220 or 230 is just gone. It, my, my brain doesn't know how they've been wanting to put a, pacemaker in me to help control it but i talked to other runners that they did that too and they said all it does is it it'll control it from going up there but you'll just be wiped out and you'll just have to stop so i mm. thought i had a better chance of uh learning to manage you know it running between 14 and 18 minute miles just to try to beat the 30 hour cutoff you know and that you know i'm always trying I'll, on my training runs i'll I'll try to train at 12 minute miles as long as I can. And that's usually about two or three miles before my heart rate gets out of hand. And, but, you know, I'll, I'll continue to keep trying, but that's, that's been the main issue as far as my pace now. But what back to rehab, you know, I was a, aggressive. There was a, a KU med student that volunteered to, help me out because I always wanted to do the oh get on the bikes and ellipticals even though I can't stand or have no balance if I held on to those I could try to get some cardio and they had to just uh, take my vitals like every 10 minutes and I could I still had a lot of my uh, endurance left because three days before my stroke I just ran a hundred miler and I ran numerous ones before that so I had a lot of endurance left, and they were amazed as far as uh, how long I could stay on that 
elliptical, you know, so. Yeah, your heart rate getting up to 230, whatever, like that high. I remember when I was in high school, um, I ran cross country and track and um, my high school coach got all the runners uh, heart rate monitors, which was a really cool gesture by the coach. And, uh, you know, being in high school, it, we always were trying to test like, what's the highest we can get our heart rate. And we would be celebrating if we got out to like 202, 204, 205, just getting it a hair above 200. Um, and that's when I was in high school. So I'm talking, you know, I was yeah. 16, 17 years old. Um, I've never seen my heart rate get above probably 205. Yeah. And I have a, they put a heart rate monitor in me and they monitor it 24 seven. So um, before my stroke, my resting heart rate was between 32 and 34, but I just ran all the time. Um, for a while, I think when I ran marathons, it was around 36. And then once I got into ultras, 32, 34. And now my, my rest and heart rate's in the mid 50s now. And it so it, it's it's all out of whack, you know, for me. But I, I don't know if I'd ever had my heart rate over 200 until, you know, after a stroke. I just, my my brain isn't making the, they said the electrical connection with it to uh, control it correctly. So. Mm. so going into your stroke, you were super healthy and it was n not one of your athletic endeavors that caused the stroke or anything like that. Um, what was the cause of your stroke? So the cause of my stroke, they were really puzzled because when I was running all those hundred milers, I was in really good shape. I, I weighed 170 pounds and I was having some of the best running of my life. And they can, my cholesterol was good. Everything was good. They were puzzled. So they started looking deeper and they found a hole in my heart called the PFO that we're born with and it's supposed to close up. And I never knew I had it. The whole they, they said they couldn't believe that I'd never had trouble earlier. Most people, once they hit sports in high school, is when they detect it. So I don't know if you're familiar, the New England Patriot uh, linebacker, Teddy Bruschi, he had a PFO. Mm. And he had a stroke. And then he actually, like I did, he came back to his sport. But now he's an announcer. Uh, for football, but his stroke was caused by the same thing, PFO. Wow. And then he went and got it closed. I got mine, I got heart surgery and got mine fixed as well. So, but so the whole, the hole in my heart allowed what, what happens basically is you got that hole in your heart. It's not supposed to be there. And it allows a place for blood to coagulate and form a clot. And it can either shoot into your lungs or your brain. But mine went up into my brain, and that's what caused my stroke. If so, wow, wow, wow! So you survived your stroke, and you're going through rehab. Um, what was the doctor's outlook for you in terms of ultra running? Well, <laughs> so when I, I got the rehab, I, I was really frustrated because I thought they're going to teach me how to stand and walk again, and it, it it was really it was really irritating because they'd have a session for like fifteen minutes, 
and then they take me back and put me back in my bed for several hours. Then I come back and have another session for 15 minutes. And that just wasn't my style. I said, well, I'm never going to get anywhere this, but a lot of the sessions were more about how I'm going to be able to uh, perform basic hygiene stuff and take care of myself. Uh, I didn't know about it. My wife, they called my wife and were asking about my house as far as setting up wheelchair ramps and mm. rails and grab bars and all that stuff. And they're basically more focused on trying to teach me how to live life in my current condition. And I was interested in, they had these, um, they were kind of like parallel bars where I, they would, the, they would take me to try to stand. And I, I, I remember I just kept falling over to my left. I may fall right to my left every time. And it, if they had a gate belt on me, I, I could like take steps and walk and stuff. But once they let go to gate belt, I would just fall over. Well, I remember it was early in the day. It was, it was maybe around eight thirty. I was able to actually stand without falling over for like eight seconds. But mm. then I fell over, which was really good progress. So I kept working at it and they kept telling me I needed to take a break and being the ultra runner I was, I just kept working. On, I was excited. But by the end of that day, I'd say it was around 7 or 8 p.m. I was actually walking on my own. I wasn't walking very good. So wow. I went from not even being able to stand in one day to walking in the same day. But I worked at it for like 12 hours straight. Like I didn't even want to stop and eat my meals. I did stop and eat my meals, though. And they kept telling me, oh, you've done enough for today. Take it easy. And I just kept kept doing it. And you yeah. know, I, had a, I was really excited and had a lot of enthusiasm. And I could see that I was going to be able to relearn how to walk again. So I still have issues, though. It's not, it, it's not by any means perfect. I got drop foot on my right side still. It's been a challenge going back to, I'm trying to get back into trail racing, which is my love. I, I finished my first, I guess it was on the 15th, the long haul 100. That's my first true trail race since my stroke that actually had things like rocks or tree roots to maneuver over that I've been able to finish. I've been, I tried several others, but I kept timing out. But I have real real bad coordination issues, and my hamstring and my glute on my right side do not fully work right. I get more of a spasm there. My brain doesn't fully contract it right. And I, I've been able to cope with it when I run on rail trails or roads, but trail racing is a whole different animal because you got to kind of time your steps and be looking at your – maneuver up ahead and so my brain says okay i got this because i did it before and then my right side does not follow through and then i crash and burn so mm. <laughs> but yeah i mean we're used to falling a lot anyways normally on trails or at least i was before that you know face planting here and there but now now it's really bad for me but you know 
Yeah. Well, congrats on finishing uh, the hundred miler on, was that just January 15th? Yeah. January 15th. Nice. Nice. Well, that's a great start to 2023 for you. Yes, it it is. And like I said, trail, trail running through the single tracks and the woods or the mountains and you know, that's, that's my main love of ultra running. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, beautiful terrain. And so, um, when is your next hundred miler? So the next one I'm, uh, scheduled for is the Prairie Spirit. Uh, I think it's uh, March 25th, but I may, I may do one before then. I was going to consider doing red dirt in, um, Louisiana, but I, I made it to mile 75 on it in uh, 2021. And, I, I mean, I timed out, but ba- based on my performance on this other one, this last one, long haul, was pretty flat and easy, even though it had tree ruts. It took me 30 hours and 46 minutes, and the cutoff was 32 hours at that one. But the other ones are all 30 hours, and I'm just going to be more patient and try to train harder before I – so I just decided not to do the the one down in Louisiana just because I don't think I'm quite ready yet. So, Are you going to put a more of a focus on ones that have a 36-hour cutoff uh, just since you're, you're you know limiting your pace and whatnot and limiting your heart rate? Yes, I, I've started doing that, and I found out before my stroke, well, I take that back. In 2020, was the first time I'd ever entered time races. I entered a 24-hour, so to get a 100-mile credit, you have to do 100 miles another 24 hours, and I didn't have any trouble doing that. Um, but now... Before I was only entering distance races, I wasn't entering time races, but they actually count a hundred mile finish if you can do it in under 48 hours. So I've entered a couple 48 hours and 36 hour races just to, and then once I get to a hundred miles, I stop because I'm only trying to get hundred milers. I'm trying to get to 100, 100 milers, but there is a pretty friendly race, uh, time friendly race called the Badger up in Wisconsin. And it's got a, it's a rail trail and got a 36 hour cutoff. And I've ran that the last two years. And I, I would like to, so like Prairie Spirit in March, I, I was successful last year. It's been hit and miss. I finished under 30 hours in that one. Um, but then I've also DNF'd it like three or four times where I can't hit mm. 30 hours. But my main focus right now is I want to get back to that 30 hour standard finishing under 30 hours, which it, it seems like at least 75%, if not more of all the hundred milers have about a 30 hour cutoff. That's kind of the standard, but yeah, I'll, you know, I'm going to do some longer ones too, just to, kind of take it easy, but I'm going to push myself to try to get back to the under 30 hour status. So nice, nice. just to give you an idea, this Prairie spirit, I could always almost, I, I've, I've got over 10 finishes on that trail and typically it was pretty easy for me to sub 24. If I pushed it, I can run between 22 and 23 hours. 
so I went from that to after the stroke, I can't even make a 30 hour cutoff. Mm. So that's how much the stroke really took out of me. It, it took off about, you know, eight, eight or nine hours, a hundred mile race. Wow. <laughs> Which wow. is over a third of the day. So, yeah. 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 So you're, you're, you're on this trajectory to get to a finishing 100, 100 milers. <clears throat> and if everything goes to plan, when do you think that you will be finishing your hundred hundredth hundred miler? Will that be in 2023? No, it'd probably be in 2024. Okay. Um, I do have an aggressive schedule in 2023. I I don't think I'll, I, I mean, I'll kind of see how it goes. I, I had, uh, yeah. The, the other problem I've had since my stroke is I've been on, I've had numerous, DNFs of 75 and 90 miles. Mm. Um, they just come out of nowhere. What my brain will, it, it, it just won't let me stand up anymore and I'm done. Um, oh, I had, I had the fall prairie spirit where I was on track to finish that one easy. And my, my brain wouldn't let my body hold up anymore. So I laid down to take a 10 minute nap. And when I got up, I was disoriented and ran the wrong way. And that's stuff oh, wow. that never happened to me before. And uh, so it, it's kind of crazy. I, I'll be on perfect track, feeling good, and just out of nowhere. Um, I'm trying to think of the – I ran another 100-miler, and I was on mile 75 in uh, Las Vegas and – I had all kinds of time left to finish. They had a generous cutoff there and I just can't ever get my body up to running again. I mean, I, hmm. I can't get my body to stand up, but it jackpot. That was jackpot 100. Um, but anyways, um, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I, so I don't, I never really know how a hundred dollars is going to go till I finish it. Cause a lot of times it's going just perfect and just out of nowhere, I can't stand up. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, earlier you mentioned that you enjoyed the hundred mile distance because, uh, there's some patience involved with it. And it almost feels like now post stroke, you're still getting after, um, uh, finishing a hundred, 100 milers, but there's more challenges. Um, sometimes your body's not doing what it, you know, you want it to, and, and, and you know, mile 90 mile 75, it's like, oh man, that's really tough. But it seems like your journey towards finishing hundred milers kind of requires almost a similar type of patience towards what is just within a hundred mile race. You know, things are, you know, you're, you're at, I guess you can say you're at mile 83 of 100 now of uh, yeah, getting there. Exactly. <laughs> Some patience is just having to be played out until you get to the finish. Yeah, and and the other thing uh, after the stroke, I have to be real careful because I'll I'll go off the course a lot easier than I used to, and these are courses that I've ran over some of them over ten times before, and you I don't know you may have experienced it late in the race where you kind of can get kind of confused or you don't think you don't think as well late in the race, especially during the night, kind of sucks the life out of you in the night and. Now it's really amplified. Um, and the other thing I really have a struggle with with my balance is uh, 
the tunnel vision with the headlamps and oh right, which it was kind of bad or it was kind of there before the stroke, but now it really. I got like a lot of vertigo and things are spinning around when I'm running and it, it kind of, it gets kind of frustrating, but I've learned really the past few hundred dollars, I've been able to cope with it a lot better. So I've always kind of got this, um, especially if there's runners passing me or I'm running close to runners, I get a, a weird vertigo and it even happens in my restaurant when I work. If, employees get close to me or they pass me i i kind of lose focus and get dizzy and stuff and it, it's just it's just a impairment that i have to deal with and i i've uh, visited a lot with um an ultra runner legend named thomas green he lives on the east coast he he had a brain injury too we have a very similar problems and he he went back to 100-mile running. He uses a wheelchair for balance. When I went back, I tried to with the wheelchair, but I found out when I lost my balance, I just pulled the wheelchair over completely. So I decided to ditch the wheelchair and try to, you know, focus on trying to just do it with my feet and sometimes trekking pulls, but it – it doesn't really help me a whole lot if I have any aid like trekking poles or wheelchair. I, I said wheelchair. I meant stroller. He, he uses a stroller to run. I said that wrong. Um, because my problem is my body just won't hold itself up. And, you know, when it gets so tight, I think it's something to do with my brain. It gets wore out and it's just done. It seems like know. it's done like that too. Like it's, yeah. You know, it's getting better though. I mean, I, I, I hit it pretty hard, right? I, I went and tried some tough hundred milers after my stroke. I finished 53 miles at outlaw, which it, it's a pretty tough course. And then the next, same month I got to mile 75 at, um, red dirt. And then I only made it to mile 40 at Prairie spirit right after the stroke. And, I, I couldn't stand up anymore because I was pushing a faster pace to try to meet that 30 hour cutoff. And also the faster I tried to run and it might have something to do with my heart rate too, but things get more dizzier and spin more aggressive. But I, I, I really felt good about finishing long haul. And then the one before cowboy in November, it was a horrible conditions. We were running into a, like a 30, 40 mile an hour headwind, almost the entire race. It was, a, oh gosh, it was a point to point. So we never turned around and got it at our back. And I got off course and I completely spaced off course. I was lost. Um, I had to call into the aid station. My wife was there. They could track me on my phone, tell me where I was at. And at that point, I thought, here goes another DNF. I got about two miles extra, two and a half mile bonus. And just something triggered in my head. I actually got, ang I got angry. And that, that's usually not something I'd normally do in a hundred mile. I just got flustered and I, I just started running at a faster pace. And I was, I, I think I went from an hour behind the cutoff to an hour ahead during the night because it happened in the night. 
and I just ran hard all night and my body just snapped out of it. And I finished that at a 32 hour cutoff. And I finished that one in right around 31 hours, I believe just under, it was like 30 hours and 50 minutes, something like that. So nice. I went from being down an hour to being up an hour. And then I felt really good once the, the rest of the race during the light, during the daylight anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned about the, the vertigo and whatnot. And I was wondering during nighttime, have you had to change up your lighting system compared to what, it, what you used uh, pre-stroke? Do you need to use more like a headlamp and some hit lamps and maybe a flashlight in the hand? Do you need more lights to help with uh, your vertigo at all? So I did, I switched up, um, Oh, I'll probably pronounce that wrong. That to that chest lamp is it? Co it starts with a K O. But anyways, no, yeah, it, it was a super bright and it worked beautiful. So it faked my body out. But the bad thing about them is the battery packs were heavy, and they would only last three hours. So oh. I bought extra bat battery packs, and I still can't get by swapping out battery packs. I couldn't make it through the night on it. So I, I still have it and I, I can use it for uh low, low points, but I went recently, I've went back to just my black diamond headlamps that I used before and they've been working for me. And, but yeah, the brighter the light, the better it helps me now. So, yeah, nice, nice. So <clears throat> with um, all this, these changes and adaptations that you've had to do uh, since you've had your stroke, it has inspired you to create the Iron Will 100. And I was wondering if you can kind of talk about um, that. I know last year, um, <clears throat> last year was the inaugural year mm -hmm. and this upcoming September 9th will be the second year. And I was wondering if you can kind of talk about um, the ways that you designed that for inclusiveness and openness for adaptive athletes. Sure. So I, I was um, running hundred milers aggressively before my stroke and I was still registered for probably around a dozen of them when I had my stroke. So my wife called around and tried to get me deferrals. So here I was not even being able to stand and ba basically most policies were deferrals but i found out um i i, I want to mention this race long haul which i just ran they actually refunded my money they went above and beyond which we didn't ask for a refund we asked for deferrals but a lot of people were like i, I shouldn't say a lot i'll say four i had trouble with four races i won't name them but they um pretty much said tough luck if you're not able to run our race and they just kept my entry fees and it kind of, kind of ticked me off or rubbed me wrong. So I decided, you know what, that this really isn't what this ultra running is about. You know, it's, and I, I decided I'm going to make a race and I'm going to do a 30, 36 hour cutoff for a hundred and I'm not going to advertise it, but I might be doing it right now by saying it. But if somebody finishes, you know, 10 minutes over 36 or 20, I'm going to count it. There's a lot of races that if you finish one second over 30 hours, they're not going right. to count it. 
and it, you know, so another thing I decided to do was make it, I, I did it on a rail trail type. It's a river trail over junction city and it's a nice wide trail. There's hardly any pavement on it. Just a less than 10th of a mile just where you come out by the dam or the headquarters are in the starting line. And I made it to where they could run with a stroller for balance. It's nice, wide, friendly. It's really, really hard to get off course. And, you know, I decided, uh, you know, I just decided to uh, make a race that people could run easier and and this with disabilities because the the problem with these cutoffs and a lot of these races is a lot of people don't have the ability. I found that out. It's like it's just like I said, I was running sub twenty four at a race anytime I wanted, and now suddenly I can't even make the cutoff, but I still can run, just not near as fast. So that that's where I came up with the thought of the. Iron Wheel 100. Nice, nice. And so the Iron Wheel, um, that is a nickname that I believe you got within the ultra running community. Is that correct? Yes. So um, back in, when I got into 100 milers, she she was the race director for the Hawk for several years. Uh, Sherry Glover. What's that? Sherry Clover. Oh, Clover. Sherry Clover. Um, her and I ran our first 100-miler together, and we were being trained by the same person, and we both ran Rocky Raccoon together in 2012 and got to know each other. Well, I'd had that motorcycle wreck back in uh, 2010, and I started having um, infection issues from the stitches and the mesh that, you know, I had in me. And in 2013, I started, I had to have a lot of surgeries to redo it. So I started scheduling my 100 milers around my surgery. So I'd, I'd like run a 100 miler and then have surgery and kill two birds with one stone. I'd recover from the 100 miler and the surgery. So she nicknamed me Iron Will, and that's where the name came in it kind of just spread throughout the ultra community and, and kind of stuck with me. So I actually acquired that name back in 2013, but mm. I, I'd done some other crazy things. I, I was uh, running a slam in 2014, the Kansas slam. And I was running the Hawk 100, which was the third race of the four for the slam. And when I was about done with my first loop about mile 24, 25, I turned my ankle and took a bad fall. I don't know if you've ever ran at Clinton Lake, but those trails are pretty treacherous. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. I just hopped up. And I noticed throughout the race, when I turned my ankle side to side, it was real painful. So I, I learned to just run without turning it side to side. So a couple weeks later, I finished that 100-miler. And then I, a couple weeks later, I had the Heartland 100, and that was the finale of the slam. Well, I was on a blistering pace. I was on a like a 22-hour pace, 
and just out of nowhere in one step at mile 70, 69.70, I just felt this tear in my left calf. And what it was, I didn't know it at the time, but I tore a soleus muscle. Mm. And I don't know if anybody's had it. Well, if you've had a soleus injury, you remember it because it's the most disabling injury in my opinion. I mean, I've had hamstrings and quads and all that and uh, the gastro calf muscle, but the soleus is a bigger flat muscle underneath your gastro calf. And um, anyways, it crippled me. I was unable to run. It felt like an electrical shock every time I put my foot down to try to run. I tried to run numerous times in that last 30 miles but I was able to just walk it. I was, I still could walk. So I walked it in. I think I finished it around 25 hours and change, but it was a long 30 miles. Well, come to find out what had happened was when I, I finally went to the doctor because it was so painful. When I turned my ankle back in the hawk, I had fractured my uh, fibia. Oh, wow. So that's why my ankle was hurting when I turned side to side. And I kept running on it, and then I ran another 100-miler on it, and it kept putting a, a burden on other areas. And they said that my soleus tore, they, they called it something like a post-tibia, something or another, but that was inflamed, and it was causing, like, electrical-type shocks, sensation, painful. But anyways, it was a domino effect, and... I, I had no idea that I'd broke broken my leg when I or my it was my fibia, not the tibia. It was a non weight bearing one, so I was able to run on it, but I just got turned my ankle side to side. So, anyways, I but I'd already had the name Iron Will before I did that. In, in hindsight, it was probably kind of stupid, but I really didn't know I broke my my leg. My focus was on just finishing the slam. So I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> well, it sounds like, uh, that just reinforced your nickname. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But you know, it's, it's amazing. The, all the physical accomplishments that you have, uh, under for your, under your belt, like you've done so much and, but going through this whole conversation with you, the thing that has, I've been really impressed with though, is your mental fortitude. Um, you, you know, you've withstood, um, you know, having gained weight when you're younger, you withstood 46 bones broken from a motorcycle accident, you withstood a stroke and you're, you're continuing to thrive and you're continuing to be active. You're continuing to have a meaningful lifestyle. And, um, that's largely mental in my opinion. And so where did you develop that ability to have the iron will on the psychological level? Well, I don't know. I, uh, my dad was in the military for 24 years and I, I grew up mostly in Europe and I was born there, but we lived in the housing areas. Um, and the neighborhoods were kind of tough and you kind of had to, you had to be tough to survive in, in those type of environments. And, but that was the only way I knew. And then when we moved to uh, Kansas, my dad was stationed at Fort Raleigh, but he he got a house for us off base because 
of all the problems we'd had. And I think a lot of the issues over there was we weren't, we had walls around where we lived and we were kind of confined to an area where we couldn't go out into the German neighborhoods and we were bored. So like we fought all the time and it, it was just a real tough neighborhood. And once I got into Chap Chapman high school is where I landed. It was a smaller school and everybody was more friendly. It was a completely different environment, but I didn't know, you know, any better. I, so I, I kind of had a tough childhood and tough neighborhoods and, but that's, that's kind of my, it's probably pretty typical in a lot of city liver city living, even in the U S I would assume, but, um, I mean, I was kind of, I was kind of a scrapper growing up just cause I had to, to kind of survive or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one possibility, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Well, it seems like the, the rough childhood, um, fostered, uh, some major resilience within you. And, um, that resilience is always very important for hundred mile races, um, because there's, things are bound to happen during that long distance. So it seems like you developed a really strong sense of resiliency, which is really cool to see. Uh, Will, so I would say um, that is bringing us to the end of our episode today. And I'm uh, really thankful and full of gratitude that you uh, came on to All Bodies Outside. I know I sent you a, a cold email uh, on Gmail and uh, said, Hey, do you want to be on this podcast? And you probably never heard of me, probably never heard of the podcast. So, uh, I really appreciate your willingness to come onto the podcast. Probably, you know, not ever hearing of the, of all bodies outside. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it an episode. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>